My sermon this morning is entitled, Distilling Spirits, or How to Make Wine with Your Life. Not how to wine with your life. A lot of people already know how to do that, specifically how to make wine with your life. And our text today is from John chapter 15, starting at verse 1. John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Father, we receive your joy today. The joy of abiding in Jesus. Amen. What does it mean to abide in Jesus? Thank you. What does it mean to abide in Jesus? What does it mean to abide in the vine? What does it mean for Jesus to say that his relationships with his disciples are like a vine and his father is a vine dresser and that he expects them to bear fruit out of this relationship of abiding? What is the fruit used for and what is the result of this relationship? These are all very good questions. They're especially interesting because in the context of the first, uh, sorry, the second century temple period that the, the gospel is set in, in that context, when we're talking about a vine and vine dressers, we're really talking about a vineyard. And a vineyard is good for making wine. Now, wine tends to make Christians of a certain ilk uncomfortable, which is Tragic and a bit awkward because we serve a Lord and Savior whose first miracle was making wine. That makes some people very uncomfortable. It even makes me uncomfortable. But if we have time today, we'll explore Jesus making wine a little bit. But first I thought I'd tell you some stories about my very limited experiences with alcohol. This is a flask I received from a friend of mine. I want to tell you about him a little bit later. 
But to prove that Christians get very uncomfortable around alcohol, I will say first that I keep this in my office on purpose as a memento to my friend, Jake, who gave it to me. I have never used it for its intended purpose. It's just a reminder of his place in my life. It's a reminder to me to keep him in prayer and to keep him in relationship. But funny enough, it's also what generates the most interesting reactions from people who come into the church and see that as they go by the pastor's window, he's got a flask in it. And just about a month ago, we had a printer technician come in and take Gina aside and say, "Ah, I I don't know if you know this. I'm sorry to do this, but I just have to say this. Do you know that one of your pastors has a flask on his desk? I think he might have a problem with drinking. (laughs) So Gina sent me a note. She's like, "Uh, just so you know, the printer tech thinks that you're boozing on the job. And I'm like, that's exactly why I kept it there. (laughs) I was waiting for someone to give me that reaction. I have very limited experience with alcohol. The reason why is I grew up in a household that had very negative feelings towards alcohol. And I didn't really understand why. I knew it had something to do with my grandfather. I knew it had to do with his alcoholism. And... The earliest memory that I had of my grandfather was when, uh, really, the earliest and the last, if I can be clear with you, the earliest and the last memory I have of my grandfather is my mom and my grandpa and I were driving to Callaway Park in Calgary, and I was sitting in the back seat, in the middle seat of the back seat of the car, and I was listening to them have an argument, and my grandfather was being very obstinate, and he wasn't listening. And I remember my mom telling him that we wouldn't be able to spend time with him until he dealt with his drinking problem. I didn't get to see him again until his deathbed when he repented and received Jesus and asked us to forgive him. But he was absent from age 5 to age 17 from my life. And in those 12 years, I developed a certain antipathy, a certain negative perception of alcohol, and I kept my distance from it. That is until I got married, and I was on my honeymoon. Now, my wife didn't grow up in an environment that was opposed to alcohol. Obviously, growing up in a Christian family, she had boundaries about alcohol. It wasn't like getting drunk was okay, but enjoying a glass of wine with supper wasn't a problem. And so here we are on our honeymoon, and we're in this Bavarian restaurant, this German Bavarian. It's, it's a barn that's been converted into a restaurant. You've got to, like, duck under these beams, and they serve you sausage proudly. They're not embarrassed to serve you sausage. It was very good. And she said, hey, would you like to, us to, we could maybe, you know, have a drink with supper, maybe share something. And I was like, no, that is bad. I am a Christian. You know, and I used the similar, the, not, the, not the similar, but the typical the typical language that I would always use, I would say, I said things like, you know, what if it ruins my witness? She's like, we're in a small Bavarian restaurant in the middle of nowhere. There's no one in the room with us. If you're worried that, you know, someone's going to see you and judge you, there's no one to see you and no one to judge you. And I was like, okay. So then I'm still feeling uncomfortable. And in that moment, this is what I heard. I heard the Lord say something to me, and I'll never forget it. It was in my, in my heart. It was this witness that came to me and said, You were never, I never told you to abstain from all forms of alcohol. 
but you've done it because you're afraid of ending up like your grandfather. And so you're living in the bondage of fear. See, I had seen him struggle with alcoholism, and I didn't want to end up in the bondage of alcohol. But in doing so, I had ended up in a different kind of bondage, in the bondage of fear. So I tried something, and I didn't like it. It tasted like rancid apple juice. It was weird. But I thought, you know, this is interesting. I'm on my honeymoon. Life is certainly different on your honeymoon. So we ended up in uh, the Dominican Republic. And uh, we're there. And we go on this horseback ride tour through the mountains. And we meet this guide named Jose. And Jose is very nice, and he has a great grasp of English. And Jose offers to take us out of the resort and lead us around to some local spots that we wouldn't be able to see on any bus tours or touristy tours. And Leisha and I were like, this is going to be awesome. So we decide that we're going to go with Jose. And Jose picks us up with his cousin in this little Toyota, um, four-door Toyota that has no seatbelts in it. (laughs) And we hop in the back and we're like, okay, here we go. We said yes to this. Holy Spirit, protect us. And we just start driving through traffic, and of course, in the Dominican, they don't particularly care about which lane. It's just like, pick your favorite lane, move around other people. It's like you play the game of chicken every 30 seconds with the driver ahead of you. You're just like, which way are you going? Which? And like, I'm freaking out, and he's just totally cool. He's chatting with us in the back. Like, we're going to figure this thing out roughly 10 seconds before we collide with one another, and it's all good, right? You see motorcycles go by, and they've got like six people strapped like a trapeze group. They're like holding on to each other like this. I literally saw a man driving with his two kids holding on to his shoulders on a motorcycle. And they were ages five and three. And I was like, I feel uncomfortable in the back of this Toyota. But he's holding on to his kids with his arm on a motorcycle. I have nothing to worry about. We had a great time. It was really a fun cultural experience. We stopped at the beach. And of course, we're totally dependent on him for for looking after us. And so he orders us Dominican beer. He says, the beer at the, at the resort is fake. It's watered down. I'm not going to try to emulate his accent, but you can imagine the way he spoke in his broken English. He says, it's fake. It's watered down. I want you to try the real thing. This is the pride of our nation. And I'm like, okay, this is interesting. So it's a glass bottle, and I had a little paper cup. And I thought, well, you know, I'm, again, I'm on my honeymoon. I'm learning not to be afraid. So I take one drink of this, and I'm, I realize I'm quite thirsty. It's a small cup. So I, then I have a second drink, again, just because I'm thirsty, just trying to refresh myself. You can't have the water, okay? You guys understand where this is going? <laughs> I'm sitting there on the beach in the Dominican Republic, trying to quench my thirst. I drank two quick paper cups of Dominican beer, which was actually better than my first experience, still not great. And I'm sitting there, and then I feel what is eerily similar to the presence of the Holy Spirit come upon me. (laughs) I literally, on the beach, I'm sitting there looking out at the water. I'm with Jose and his cousin, who doesn't speak any English, by the way. We're going to go to a cockfight and watch the birds kill each other. And I'm looking around the beach, and I'm like, I literally, in my heart, I said this, is that you, Lord? (laughs) But it was like the presence of the Lord, which normally, when I feel the presence of the Lord... It respects my self-control. This new feeling did not respect my self-control. I felt like I was not fully present in my faculties. I looked over at Leisha and I said, I think I'm drunk. She said, you cannot be drunk. We are in the middle 
of the Dominican Republic, and I am with two people I've never met before, and he does not speak English, and we're on our way to a cockfight. Sober up, man. And I was like, oh no. So I began to pray and repent to the Lord and say, God, I'm so sorry. I've had two small child-sized cups of Dominican beer, and I am now totally demolished. It turns out I wasn't. It turns out I had what is known as a buzz. It was the first and last time that happened. But for a moment there, I was scared that I was like, going to pass out or throw up. I just didn't know what was going to happen to me. And like I'm walking, and she's like holding my arm. We were just such, such newlyweds <laughs> on that day in Porta Plata. But anyway, that was my, my very first and last experience being intoxicated by alcohol. And since then, I've learned to have better boundaries, and to not drink anything alcoholic as a means of quenching your thirst, okay? Just a little pro tip for those of you who didn't know. But when I got home, I, I brought this up with my mom, and it scared her. And I remember how frightened she was, the frightened look in her eyes when I brought it up with her. And I remember that day in Callaway Park when I was five, and I realized that her dad's effect on her had led her to a certain life, and that had led me to a certain life with certain concerns, and that my life was not really the sum total of my choices. My life and my relationship with, in this case, alcohol, was the sum total of my grandfather's choices and their effect on his daughter, and his daughter, my mother's, effect on me. Here's the very simple thing I would like to say to you this morning. I believe the reason why Jesus calls himself the true vine, and he calls us the branches, is we need to stop thinking of our lives as the beginning and the end of a single story that has no effects on other people. And we need to begin to see our lives as one part of a growing vine that comes from somewhere else and goes to somewhere else. That we inherit things from other people that are good and bad, that give us life and that hurt us. And we, after receiving those things in our lifetime, we have an influence on others who grow out from our lives. What Jesus is revealing by calling himself the vine and us the branches is he's revealing a pattern of relationship that's better than other patterns of relationship. And until we realize where we stand and who we are related to, what we are receiving, and who follows after us and what we are giving, until we realize and identify with more than just ourselves, we will never be able to experience true life and we will never be able to experience the fullness of joy that Jesus promised us. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Jesus is saying that the relationships that he has are extensions of his relationship with the Father. He relates to the Father, and then from relating to the Father, he relates to his disciples. And their life is found in their relationship with him. What does it take 
to abide in a relationship? What does it mean to abide in a relationship? We have relationships with one another, but what does it mean for these disciples to abide in Jesus? Have you ever wondered that? I have. The Christian answer that I learned was to abide in Jesus meant to spend some time soaking and feeling good in the presence of God. Now this is good and this is truly part of abiding. But think about the context of Jesus and his disciples. When Jesus says to his disciples, as you abide in me, you will bear fruit, does that mean that Peter and John need to stand there and soak before Jesus? No, it's a reflection of them knowing Jesus and walking with Jesus and choosing to continue in relationship with Jesus. I would like to suggest to you that abiding in the vine is really a reflection of abiding in relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I've abided in my relationship with the Father, and I'd like you to abide in your relationship with me. And as you abide in your relationship with me, you will create space for other people to grow. And they will abide in you. And this is the true vine. This is the new pattern of relationships. What does it take to really abide in relationship with other people? It's often very difficult. You don't know how difficult it is until you're in the midst of conflict with someone else you claim to love. I've been around the church for a long time, and I'm sad to say that as far as I can see it, the quality of relationships that we have with one another do not outmatch the quality of relationships we find in the world. People grow together for a little while side by side, and then they often grow apart. But the pattern doesn't really change. People think of themselves as self-sustaining, and they think of the life they get from maybe their faith, from maybe their money, from maybe their status. And as long as you and I are happy and cool with each other, we can grow in the same field, but we're not connected to the same vine. Jesus is introducing a new pattern of relationships where the disciples draw life from being related to him. And he draws life from being related to the Father. And he's asking them to continue to choose to walk with him. It's sometimes difficult to walk with people. My friend Jake and I have gone on for many years now, over a decade. And when we first met one another, he was the wildest, most interesting Alaskan bear of a man I'd ever met. He's actually led a missions trip to this church. He's just full of joy. He has the wildest testimony. His testimony, I'll let him tell it, but it literally involves him living with his girlfriend, and in the middle of the night, she manifests a demon at three in the morning, and he doesn't even believe in God, but he remembers what his mother taught him, so he uses what his mother taught him to cast the demon out of his live-in girlfriend. And then later that week, he gives his heart to Jesus. 
We ended up in the Middle East together, and at that time, we were already talking about how we wanted to be friends for life. We related to one another as brothers, and while we're in the Middle East, it was like we couldn't stand one another. It was just a short missions trip. It was maybe two and a half weeks, but for some reason, the way he was behaving and the way I were behaving, they weren't really jiving. Not only that, but we had some bad shawarma, and because of that bad shawarma, There was other stuff going around the missions team, if you understand what I am saying. There was a level of discomfort with one another that we did not like. And we had to work this through sometimes with some late night chats, which were really arguments. And I remember thinking, you know what? This is confession time. I remember thinking, you know what? As great of a guy as he is, I don't know if I want to continue in friendship with him once I get home. I don't know if this was meant to be. Maybe we're just too different. I got home from the Middle East, and he wanted to do coffee with me, and I didn't know what was going to come of that. And he said to me, Connor, I just want you to know, even though I was struggling with some things, struggling with how I was feeling, struggling with feeling sick, I want you to know that when I watched you on the missions trip, I deeply admired you. And I learned from you. And I knew more than ever before that we would be friends for life. And I'm like, me too, man. (laughs) Me too. Later that year, he decided to get married to uh, his girlfriend, now wife, Katie. And he called me in Canada. He said, I'd love for you to be a groomsman at my wedding. And even though it was an expense... And even though we were still, in one sense, getting to know each other because we had just met in Bible college, I flew down there and I joined his family for the festivities, became a groomsman, and then (laughs) discovered like two hours before the reception, I was also the MC for the evening. (laughs) He's like, you're good at talking, you'll do fine. And I'm like, no, I won't, but I will do it for you because I love you and because I'm trying to abide. The reason why I keep this bottle and the reason why I tell you that story is this. You cannot abide in someone else's life by accident. You will not grow in their world and in their heart forever without intentionality, without firmly fixing yourself inside their affections and refusing to leave relationship. One of the reasons why our relationships aren't different than the pattern of the world is we have the same level of casual flippancy about our connections with one another. We don't realize that it takes a lot of work and a lot of intention to keep pointing yourself at the people you've made a commitment to. So we wonder why the quality of our relationships deteriorate, and the reason why sometimes is just because we haven't been intentional with them. The Bible says that love suffers long, or love is long-suffering which means that there's a type of love that can only be expressed and received when the person who's doing the love when the person who is doing the loving is suffering for a long time. You say well they they've just been hurting me and they just don't understand me. They just don't get where I'm at. I just don't feel loved by them, so you know what? I guess we're just going to go our separate ways. You're just going to go over there, and I'm just going to go over here, and we're just going to be, we're just going to be good. (laughs) I'm just trying to be real with you. I put a flask on the thing today, like, we're just, 
I'm just trying to be more genuine, okay? I'm just trying to be real with you. One time I did a calculation of the number of people who have come to this church and left it. That's a fun, that's a fun number. When I just added, literally, I just wrote down names and just added up the numbers. It's, it's amazing to me when you take that number and then, you, and then you know, hey, we're called to be a family. We're called to walk with one another. And I am not saying that everyone who left is wrong or bad or has a problem. I, I will confess, I have hurt people. I am not perfect. This community is not perfect. It's not really about that. It's just about the fact that until we get intentional about growing in relationship with one another, we will never experience the fullness of joy Jesus promised us. And you say, well, how do you grow in relationship? Well, the first thing is you understand the order and the pattern. The order is Jesus abides in the Father, and the disciples abide in Jesus. And in doing so, they bear fruit. And the parts of your life that don't bear fruit, the Father prunes. So there's two results to good relationship in proper order. One is... It produces the fruit, the, the grapes that can be eventually turned into wine, okay? The other result is when it doesn't, you have to go through the pain of conflict. And the father will be involved in pruning you. See, the second reason why our relationships aren't very functional is every time they get a little bit of conflict in them, we think something is wrong. When the reality is that if you grow into Jesus and the element of your relationship with him and with other people doesn't bear fruit, the father prunes it. So you're walking with somebody and you find out that you need to confront them about something because they've hurt you. Or you think you're caring for somebody and they don't receive it as care, they receive it as offense. And you think, oh man, something's wrong. No, actually something is profoundly right. The father is pruning you. (laughs) (laughs) he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit our relationships are meant to be fruitful and when they're not fruitful the father steps in you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you abide in me and I in you As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Jesus says, you've already been made clean by the word I've spoken to you. I want you to to just shelf that that thought for a minute because it's very important. But the last thing he says is, apart from me you can do nothing. And he says... For, yeah, for apart from me you can do nothing, but I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Our relationships with God are meant to be fruitful. And as we abide in God, we bear fruit. But apart from our relationship with him, we can't do anything. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of earlier in John, 10 chapters earlier, in fact, where Jesus says, The, fa- the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. The power and the life that flows through Jesus does not come from him or his identity as God. A lot of Christians think that fulfillment in life comes from their identity in God. I am a child of God. I am a son. I am a... Now, this is, these are all great and these are all powerful things. 
But Jesus doesn't get his life from his own personal identity. He gets his life and his power from his relational identity of being in and abiding with the Father. Your life, your influence, the sum of who you are, the real joy of who you are, is not found in the things you say about yourself. It's not found in your own gifts, in your own talents, in your own identity. It's found in your relationship with the people you abide in. Can I give you an example? Maybe this feels a bit too abstract. Let me, let me make it more practical. Jesus is abiding in the Father, and because he's abiding in the Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he is able to be fruitful with his life. But this kind of submission to the Father is not just to his heavenly Father. For example, it's also to his mother. How did Jesus' ministry start? It started at a wedding in Cana. At this wedding in Cana, they ran out of wine. Now, when you plan for a wedding and you mean it to be a celebration and you run out of wine at that wedding, there's a good chance that some people might have had too much. Jesus goes to the wedding, and when he's there, his mom says to him, you can find this in the beginning of John, Jesus says to him, they've run out of wedding and I need you to deal with this. (laughs) (laughs) And Jesus says, woman, why does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come. Now, just so you know, the the word there for woman is not as disrespectful back then as it is here and now. Like, if I was like, to my mom, like, yo, woman, what does this have to do with me? You got to be like, whoa, he's just like, maybe chill a little bit there, Jesus. Like, you seem a bit disrespectful to your mother. She birthed you. She raised you. That's not what he's doing. He's simply saying, this is not my concern, and this is not the beginning of my ministry. See, Jesus is walking in relationship with the Father. He's in perfect relationship with the Father, and he doesn't believe now is the time. Are you understanding the context of what's about to happen? She says, you need to do something about this. Jesus goes, I don't actually want to do anything about this. She ignores him and says to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. A good Jewish mother just wins the argument by just moving on. So Jesus is in submission to Mary. He's abiding in his relationship with Mary. you got to catch this. Jesus submits to what she wants, even though it's not what he thinks is necessary. And then she tells the servants to submit to Jesus. Do you understand what's happening here? What's happening is, is that everybody gets to be powerful because they were given life from someone else's, from walking with someone else. Jesus didn't see, oh man, there's no wine at the wedding. Well, I'm going to do something about this. No, he submitted to Mary. And what what did the servants do? The servants submitted to Jesus. So it is in their submission to one another that they find life and power and the miracle takes place for the party to continue. The best things about your life aren't the things you build and the things you make and the things you make happen. The best things about your life, where the real life is found, the kind of abundant life that transcends your normal experience, 
That comes from how you abide in relationship with other people, how you submit to them out of love, and how from submitting to them out of love, you are given the power for God's miraculous party to continue. Now, there's real theological debate as to whether or not the will of the Father was hidden from Jesus so that he could submit to Mary, or whether Mary just changed the plan. Either way, it doesn't really matter, because Jesus finds life in his submission to Mary. His submission to the Father and his submission to Mary are one and the same thing. Now, the term submission to some people is a dirty word. It makes people uncomfortable. I used to say that submission, and I I still believe this, submission is becoming someone else's greatest strength. Oh. People on the podcast are going to think I've been drinking. I used to say that submission is becoming someone else's greatest strength. And I still believe that to be true. But I believe it also goes a little bit deeper than that. Submission in a relationship, or maybe I'll back up a bit. Abiding in a relationship means willing to, being willing to submit your will to the person you want to walk with. Submission means love is willing to go low and let someone else have their way so that connection can grow. This is why I called the message distilling Spirits, because I believe the Holy Spirit is at work to bring us into further relationship with one another, but it has to be ordered according to the pattern Jesus established with his disciples. It has to be ordered with intention and with submission in order for us to really find life and joy in our relationships with one another. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up. They gather them and they cast them into the fire and they are burned. Okay, can I give you a little bit more of a charitable way of of understanding this? If you don't like it, you don't have to receive it this way. Dead wood becomes good kindling. Every person I have watched choose independence, cut themselves off from other people, walk away, do their own thing, and make their own life for themselves, every single one of them has become a signal fire to me on how not to get life out of life. I've watched people choose independence, and at first it feels so rewarding and so sweet because you don't have to answer to anybody, and your choices don't affect anybody else, and you can make your life whatever you want it to be. And I'd like to imagine for my grandfather that it was probably pretty easy for him to keep drinking once he'd lost relationship with his family. But I'd also like to wager that over those 12 years while he didn't have us in his life, that he got pretty lonely. And I don't think that you can look at anyone who chooses independence, who chooses to separate themselves from relationship, who chooses to keep themselves at a distance and refuse to submit. Remember, submission is love, Bending its will for the other, to the other person for the sake of connection. 
The people who refuse that are the ones that back away, back away, back away until really they're just a dead branch. And dead branches make great kindling. I, 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 <laughs> you have to understand, it, is, it brings me no joy, no satisfaction. The, <laughs> there's a German word, schadenfreude, is that right? Schadenfreude? Leah is helping me out at the back. I appreciate that. I've read it, but I've never said it, so it's a problem. It brings me no perverse satisfaction to watch somebody else's life dry up and then blow up. It doesn't. But it does serve as a warning, and it, I've yet to see it not happen this way. When people cut themselves off from one another, the problem is you don't realize you're just a branch. You cut yourself off from somebody else, and then you find out, I'm actually the one dying. I'm the one that's dead. See, this is what Paul said to the Gentile church. He said, you have to realize you've been grafted in to the body of Christ. You're not the start of this thing. This is the problem. We see ourselves as the beginning and the end of something. It's all about us. We have this implicit selfishness. We think our story begins when we're born and ends when we're dead. And in reality, we're just a part of a branch. I used to think, man, those Catholics, those Orthodox churches, those Baptists, They don't understand what true Christianity is. Fortunately, I have the spirit. And I wouldn't say it, but I'd think, you know what? If they all became like me, that'd probably be pretty good. Do you see what's happening? Is I think of myself not as a branch of the tree, but as the tree itself. But you have to understand, we don't get to today. Even if, even if my judgment was right, even if all other Christians other than Connor Schramm are walking in error... Even if that was true, you can't get to me. You can't get to today without a long and rich history of people who chose to sacrifice and serve and submit and change their will to follow the Father and to walk with other people. And in our family life, in my relationship with, strangely enough, alcohol... I was submitted to a legacy of bondage because of my grandfather's relationship with my mom and my mom's relationship with me. Whether you like it or not, whether you choose independence or not, you are connected to a vine. You are connected to other people who are giving the best of their life and the best of their experiences to you. And you have to choose what you're going to do with it, but I'd like to encourage you to follow the pattern of Jesus and submit to the true vine and let the vine dresser prune you and prune your relationships. See, this is what I believe the Holy Spirit does. Is the Holy Spirit brings us together, he keeps us together, and he forces us to find the places where we're not willing to submit to one another. And the reason why he does it is because he wants us to have life. He wants our joy to be filled, and he wants our lives to produce fruit. Just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that your joy may, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. It feels so strange to discover life through submission. It's so strange to discover 
that freedom and joy come from living a life that's willing to bend its will to the will of other people for the sake of connection. It scares the independence right up and out of us. It distills some pretty dark spirits motivating our actions sometimes. I'm telling you this as a form of confession. I have not figured this thing out. I have just learned that the best things of my life have come because I'm a son who's willing to walk in submission. Just this week, I had my mom talk to I said, Mom, I'm going through some stuff. I told her some things. She gave me three things to do. I didn't want to do any of the three of them. She gave me three things to do, simple things. And I hated the entire list. I did not want to do them at all. She picked the three simplest things that pressed the button on the part of my life that I did not want to change. So I didn't do it. Well, I didn't say I wasn't going to do it. This is what I did. I said, I'll do that. And then I didn't do it. I'll do it later, right? Jesus says, he's, as a master, he's got two servants. He says to both, go into the field. One says, yeah, 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 I'll do it. And then he never does it. <laughs> that was me. Can I give you an example of where we don't abide in the vine? Again, this is a form of confession. I'm confessing before I'm, this is not a criticism of anyone but me. We call someone up, we ask for advice, we say, man, I'm just so thankful for your influence in my life. Maybe they're a mentor, maybe they're a close friend, maybe they're like an elder brother. Maybe we even consider them a spiritual father. We say, hey, this is what I'm going through, this is what's happening with me. And the person says, well, here's what you can do. Boop, 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 list some things. And we go, oh, thank you very much. Click. I'm never doing that. Oh, you know what I need? I need someone else's advice. <laughs> Let me get on the phone and call someone who gives me some advice that I can stomach. See, it feels natural to us to make those sorts of authoritative decisions over where we're going, what we're doing with our lives, what our future holds. We don't realize that when we make those choices, we're actually cutting ourselves off from the abundant life we're looking for. Independence keeps thinking that if we just transplant ourselves from the tree, if we cut off our branch from the vine, we can plant ourselves somewhere else. We can get the life we have always wanted, and we don't have any of those pesky people telling us what to do. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, it'd be so nice. But it wouldn't be found in the pattern of Jesus. Everything he did, he did in submission to the Father. Everything he did, he inherited from a relationship that he was submitted to. And he called his disciples into the same pattern. I would stand to wager that most of the parts of our lives that feel dead can be traced back to a disconnection between us and somebody we were supposed to abide in. Let me say that again. I would stand to wager that the places in our lives that are dead have less to do with the things we believe, the things we claim, they have more to do, they can be traced back to the places in our lives where we are not abiding in the love of someone else. Can I, can I give you another example? 
Because <laughs> some of you are looking at me and you're like, I'm kind of getting this, but I also still feel a little bit confused. In the story of Jesus in the desert facing temptation, there are many Christians who say, this story is an illustration of how to face the devil. Quote scripture. That is not what the story is about at all. Yes, Jesus does quote scripture, but the devil quotes more scripture back to him. Jesus goes into the wilderness hearing a truth from his father. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What are the temptations? What's underneath the temptations? Do you really have this level of relationship? Jesus does not defeat the devil by quoting scripture. Jesus defeats the devil by submitting to the will of his father. He cares more about relationship with his father than he cares about getting his way. I could feed myself right now. I could command this stone to become bread. But instead, I'm going to live out of every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. Think about this. Jesus chooses his Father's voice over delicious bread. <laughs> and if you've ever been to Panera, you know that's not necessarily an easy choice. It's a joke. Or night oven, whatever. What if we cared so much about the, the voice of the people who were speaking life to us that it mattered more to us than even bread? The voice of the Father speaking through fathers and mothers in our lives. Think about Jesus in the garden. He said, oh, Father, I wish that this cup would pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Resurrection life itself did not come first from Jesus. It was given as a gift from the Father to the Son. It justified Jesus because he submitted to the will of the Father. Every good thing in your life, every rewarding thing didn't come from you. It came from someone else. Everything that gives you life and joy and strength and power to face the day it's actually because of a relationship you're abiding in, whether you know it or not. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to distill in us a purer, more selfless form of love. A love that is willing to submit to one another. A, a love that is willing to suffer instead of separate. In all of your relationships over time, you really only have two choices. Am I going to suffer or am I going to separate? Just pick a person you know. Your mother, your child, your neighbor. <laughs> your pastor, you have two choices. Am I going to suffer or am I going to separate? The last thing I'll say to you is this. The vine dresser has a purpose for the fruit. And I heard a story of a sommelier <laughs> who said that the best wines come from the grapes that struggled. 
the grapes that grew when there wasn't quite enough moisture in the soil, or maybe there wasn't enough sunshine in the fall. The fruit that comes out of the struggle produces the sweetest wine. If you really believe that abiding, that long-suffering love in abiding in relationships is where your fruitfulness is, I promise you God will distill a spirit from your life, a sweetness. There will be a wine that is produced from your relationships that is unlike anything else. I am determined to walk with people not for months or even years. I'm determined to walk with people for decades just to find out what comes of our relationship. Just to find out what kind of beautiful things God can produce with the fruit of us abiding in love towards one another. That is what I believe the Holy Spirit is here to offer to us. So here's where it starts. It starts with this. Any place where you are walking in unforgiveness, please, 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 choose to forgive. Choose to forgive today and keep forgiving until it feels as real and authentic as you wish it would. Any place where you hold offense against someone else, that is not their problem, that is yours. You actually have no right to your offense. You may have a legitimate issue to work through, but you have no grounds to keep it. <laughs> and third, any place of your life where you think that you can benefit from cutting yourself off from other people in order to get your own will, in order to get your own way, is actually bringing death to you. And like Dad said a couple weeks ago, the point is not that you have in this room 200 best friends. That's not the point, okay? We do walk closer with some people than others. It's not... Um, I used to work with Bronco Scoriapen at Super Pro, and what happens is, is when they cut the top off, off of a tree, all the branches have to become the tops of the tree, and it just gets this weird mangled thing where every part is, looks like it's connected to every other part. That's not what this is, okay? The true vine in the branches means that you are connected to someone, and you abide in them, and you find life in them, and you give that to a handful of other people who give it to a handful of other people, Okay? So it doesn't mean that we have to be 200 best friends, but it does mean that if there's any place in our lives where we think, you know what, I'm going to feel good if I can just get my way, <laughs> that we identify that as a source of death in us, and we let the Lord burn it off of us. Love is either going to suffer or it's going to separate, and I would rather choose to suffer so that we can abide in true relationship with one another.